Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of these your faithful who have gathered here out of love for you. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My maternal grandmother was extraordinarily shy and quiet. She was beautiful with a shock of short, curly, raven black hair, which, truth be told, she colored. <laughs> she often wore bright red lipstick, and she played the piano by ear. You know that kind of piano that, that kind of has the tremulous sound to it, uh, somebody playing, you know that sound. When she died in March of 1978, I remember my dad, whom we eventually came to call Papa Hutt, my dad saying that he had never heard my grandmother, Bertie Rogers, say a negative word about anybody. I also remember thinking to myself at that time, how can that be? <laughs> I mean, how could someone not say a negative word about someone else? <laughs> and, and even now, when I think about that, I, I think, how could someone measure their words that carefully? By the way, not to let myself off the hook or anything like that, but I think it's particularly difficult for extroverts <laughs> who tend to say what they think and then think about it. <laughs> so our sermon series today we continue uh, called Cross Connection or Cross Reference, excuse me. The link is between the First Testament passages, which we call the First Testament because it's not really an Old Testament. It's not like it's old stuff. It's the first witness. So the First Testament and the New Testament. And I don't know of two passages that more link together than the two we heard this morning. I mean, it's so clear. Like, in the previous sermons, we had to kind of link them together. But it's pretty clear here what we're getting from the psalmist and what we're getting from the apostle Peter. So we have to ask ourselves, why does the psalmist sing, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit, Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And why then does the Apostle Peter take up that refrain in the letter that is considered the first letter written by the Apostle? Writing, those who desire life and desire to see good days, let them keep their tongues from evil and their lips from speaking deceit. Let them turn away from evil and do good. Let them seek peace and pursue it. It's almost word for word from the psalmist. Well, what that tells us is that the apostle Peter, he was a good Jew. He had learned the scriptures. And, and while we know he was a fisherman, and it's unlikely that he actually penned this because this is some of the highest, most elevated Hebrew in, in the New Testament. I mean, he, the Greek in the New Testament. It is common of that period that people would take the words and the writings 
of a wise person and if not put them down, actually take that person's writing and then elevate them with how they knew the language, okay? So while some scholars believe the apostle Peter actually penned this letter and the second letter, others tend to think that it was um, verbalized and that uh, disciples of Peter actually then put that in writing. It doesn't really matter though, does it, if it is the wisdom of Peter that is coming to us, and that's what I think it is. It is the wisdom of somebody who's been faithful in the journey and following in the way of Jesus that gives us this information. So clearly, and, and you know what they say, I mean, you, those of you who are English teachers, uh, those of you who are English teachers know that the use of repetition is one of the ways that great writers write. I mean, they repeat things. And, and so it's interesting that this psalm is then repeated in the New Testament times in the, this letter. It's for emphasis, right? It's to emphasize something that is true and just and worthy of being repeated. And so um, we get this, that this is, a, is, this is a communication of instruction from both Testaments on how we are to be in the world, how we are to live. And perhaps, under their instructions, we should heed it. And yet we, we have not done that, have we? I mean, keep your tongue from evil. I mean, there's all kind of examples of that not happening in our world. And your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. We've not even come close. The writer Tom Nichols has a new book out that I heard reviewed on uh, CBS this morning. And I went and looked at it. And I, they interviewed the writer. And the book is entitled Our Own Worst Enemy. The Assault from Within on Modern Democracy. And what struck me is that uh, this writer does not place the blame for uh, the struggles that we're having with our democracy on outside forces, not on China, not on Russia, not on hack people who are hacking into our system, nothing outside and then even nothing outside uh, from within our own rank. Not greed, not violence, not politics, not war, not power. Tom Nichols says the thing that is destroying us and our democracy is that we have lost our civility. We have lost our understanding of how to be civil be civilized and how to be civil to each other and to the world. I'm anxious to read it or listen to it on Audible, uh, but it, it really hit me between the eyes. And, and maybe this is what the writer of the psalm and the writer of 1 Peter are trying to get us to see and hear. As a society, we seem to have failed in this simplest of instructions of the Holy Scripture. Now, on Thursday night at our Bible study, on an online Bible study, uh, 
I, I made the comment that I think that's why coming to church is so important or worshiping online with us. I mean, that uh, where else do you go where you get reminded of what's important in the world every single week? Where else do you go where every week you get reminded of why we are, how we are, and how we are to live and how we're, we are to be the people of God in our present place? I talked about that I'm, I enrolled for this, um, this study through a, a website called Spirituality and Practice. And, and they have uh, what they call 21-day lessons. And so I signed up for this 21-day lesson. So every day for 21 days, I get an email from Spirituality and Practice. And the topic is, what is the topic? <laughs> I want to make sure I get it right. It's, it's about uh, practicing patience. Now, I didn't sign up for it for a long time. In fact, they already started it before I signed up for it. But, you know, every time it came up in, the, in their weekly email, I thought, oh, my God, I, I might ought to do that. I might ought to do that practicing patience. And what I know and what you know is that if you're reminded of something for 21 days, begins to get into your DNA and into your system. And you know, there's a reason why the season of Lent is 40 days long. Because for 40 days, we get to revisit the life of Jesus and remember what's important about that. And, and even the, the season of Advent, the coming of the birth of Jesus, is a four-week period. And, and so we visit this every single week. And, and so... I think this is what the psalmist and Peter are about. They, they want us to remember. They want us to recall what is important. And the book of Psalms is a very unique book in the, in the Bible. It is the story of the dialogue between the people of Israel and God. And God speaks to the people of Israel, and the people of Israel speak back to God. It, it's a fascinating, and it's Psalms. It's a book of songs, and songs that were sung individually, but also songs that were sung in worship by the people who we call the Hebrews or the Israelites. And, and the other thing uh, about the Psalms uh, is, and by the way, it's often referred to in churches as the Psalter. That's a church word that actually makes reference to the Psalms. The Psalter. Um, the theological content in these songs. It, it's so powerful. It extols Yahweh, the God of Israel, to the exclusion of all other gods, calling for the worship of God as Yahweh, the worship of Yahweh alone, even among Israel's neighbors. Many psalms are expressions of high emotion and that it tells us theologically that God responds to our emotions, whether they're great joy or deep sorrow, great anger or great hope, lament or praise. The Psalms is a book with a purpose, and the purpose is found in the first two Psalms. The first Psalm says, Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on God's law they meditate day and night. This is one of the 
purposes of the whole book. And Psalm 2 says, Now therefore, O kings, we could say, Now therefore, O presidents, or now therefore, O senators, or leaders, be wise, be warned, you who are rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with awe, because happy are those who take refuge in God. So given all of that, let's take this psalm today, Psalm 34. Uh, you know, many of the psalms are attributed to David. You recall from your early Sunday school lessons, don't you, that David was the boy who was called upon to go into, or volunteered actually, to go into battle with the great warrior Goliath. And he slew Goliath and saved his people, right? And then King Saul kind of plucked him up. Well, God plucked him up, actually, as they went looking for someone. And he became the musician for Saul who helped Saul get past all his mental problems because they, that's what they think. Saul had these mental problems, and he would have these awful headaches, migraines, and that the singing of David would relieve him. And eventually David becomes the king of Israel, and Perhaps the people of Israel considered David, and still to this day, the greatest of the kings of Israel. And so that's who they attribute most of the song, songs in the song, or many of the songs in the Psalms. And this is one of those, as you heard in the introduction. Psalm is considered, Psalm 34 is considered one of these penned by David. And it's a song of praise for deliverance. And in the psalm, the people of God are referred to, the people of God who are Israel and Judah are referred to as children. And you know, Jesus does this too in later scriptures. Jesus will call the people children. And we'll hear that in the New Testament writings as well. And I, I might add that uh, when we read this, uh, that the people of God are the people to whom the psalmist speaks. And the people of God now are you and I. The psalmist speaks to you and I in this psalm. And the first lesson of the psalm is to be in awe of the Lord. To, to discover the awe of the Lord. And, and you know, if you just look out here, you, if, if you look at the light on these trees, uh, that's a way we discover the awe of the Lord, and we discover the awe of the Lord in each other when you think about our bodies and how they operate, and animals and creatures. I mean, just the whole thing, it's mind-blowing. Now, the next lesson consists in doing the will of God. Integrity of language versus deception. Practice of good versus evil. And pursuit of peace versus trouble. And the reward, well... For those who follow this advice, the reward is that God is good to those who seek God and looks on them with favor and is responsive to their needs. Except, surely it crosses your mind. You know, how do we reconcile that bad things still happen to good people? When we hear this psalm, how do we, I mean, okay, wait. You said that God responds to us in this psalm, but 
how do we deal with the bad things still happen to good people? And how did the people of Israel, how did David understand that bad things happen to good people? Perhaps, I'm just going to put this out there, perhaps this witness to the presence of God is about hope, the hope that the psalmist has. This is the hope that the psalmist has and proclaims. That even in the worst of times, that God is seeking to favor us and respond to our needs. The presence of God is with those who seek God's way in good times and in bad. The eyes of God see us. The ears of God hears, hear our cry. This is the proclamation of the psalmist. And then Peter echoes all of this. The writer of the first letter of Peter, whom we many believe is the wisdom of Peter, echoes the same understanding. Let them keep their tongues from evil and their lips from speaking deceit. Let them turn away from evil and do good. Let them seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and with ears open to their prayer. In other words, pay attention. Pay attention. These are things that can make for life. And what, 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 what are we to do with this statement that but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That's my best, you know, TV pastor thing. So I want to tell you about a book I read years ago. It was by a United Methodist theologian by the name of uh, Professor Walter Wink. And he wrote an entire, he did an extensive deep dive study into evil in the New Testament. And he's got three volumes of that. And then compile those three volumes into a short book that summarized his work called The Powers That Be. And in that book, he poses to his readers that everything he sees in, in the Hebrew Scriptures as well as in the New Testament is this appeal to God, turn your face to us. Turn your face to us. When things are really bad, the prayer explodes from their mouths. Turn your face to us. Turn your face to me. For I am brokenhearted, and I am in need. And Wink poses that, and this is through his study, that when people lose their purpose, when organizations lose their purpose, when schools lose their purpose, when pharmaceutical companies lose their purpose, God looks away. Now, in our Bible study on Thursday night, we had a heyday with talking about that. I don't know that God actually looks away. And then uh, we kind of came to this conclusion that, you know, God is, is holy. And God cannot bear to look upon evil. And so we'll look away. doesn't mean God moves away from us. doesn't mean God is not present with us. But God wants us to come back into our full purpose as human beings, to not speak deceit, to not do evil, to seek peace and pursue it. And, um, and then God, and then the writer of this letter goes on and says, now who will harm you if you are evil to do what is good? Well, I know a lot of people that will harm you even when you're trying to do good. 
But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. You hear that? Even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Now, a lot of people for years have misconstrued this passage. I mean, for years. From the first year of the, of the Christian faith, the, Christ, uh, the common era, to, to even today. People will say, well, I have to suffer. Because that is, you know, suffering is what Christians do. Right? I have to suffer. And a lot of people did it because they felt like they'd become the saints of the church. But uh, today, you know, like people will stay in brutalizing relationships because they believe they're supposed to suffer. Well, this is not what this means. I, 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 no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, uh, we look at our sisters and brothers who are Buddhists. Their tradition starts with the four noble truths. And the first noble truth is that all is suffering. And the second noble truth is that we suffer because of our attachments. And then it goes on. So I lift the four noble truths up to you. Go, go Wikipedia, you know, and, and look at it and think about it. So what is the solution to this passage about suffering? Well, first and foremost, while all life is suffering, it is not God's desire that we suffer or that we make suffering for ourselves and others. We do not, as some in the past have interpreted this, seek suffering. That is not God's desire for us. And just as the psalmist sings about hope and the promise of God to be with us, and if you see, and if you look at the lyrics to our songs this morning that we sang, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' love and righteousness or heaven come down. I'm going to sing a song of hope, right? Well, you know, we've got a lot of reasons not to hope right now, but that's what we sing because that's what we know to ultimately be God's desire for us is that we sing of love and we sing of hope. And then make a defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. And, and let me just say, I, I had no idea about how people interpreted this scripture until we're sitting on Thursday night with our Bible study group and somebody says, well, you know, my pastors use that to tell me that I needed to be evangelizing. I needed to be in people's face. Um, and I needed to be proclaiming the truth of the gospel, Right? Is that right? Am I representing that correctly? And so, and that's a kind of conservative Christian interpretation. But there's another way. And, and that is to say that to focus on the hope that is within us is to make our way through our suffering, right? So, I have a lot more to say about all this, and, and I just don't <laughs> so what is the good news for us today? Then it was that the Lord is near. Hear how this passage ends today. The Lord is near to those, to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. That is the whole of the gospel. That God is near. And to always make a defense for our hope. Because we are not people without hope. The Apostle Paul says we are not people without hope because 
of Jesus, our resurrected Christ. And that is still our understanding. And that allows us to defend our hope. Well, when I was in my 30s, I was perhaps the loneliest I'd ever been in my life. Uh, I'd spent years trying to make relationships work. And still, I was alone. And I remember saying to God when I was running one day, you know, just either give me somebody to love and somebody to love me, or take this away from me. Take this desire from me because I am suffering and I'm hurting. And I finally met a bartender named Timothy. Now, I want to tell you, that was a sign from God, right? I mean, Timothy? I mean, the name Timothy alone was a sign from God, and so we started dating and fell in love, and it was just wonderful for months. And then he didn't call, all of a sudden. And uh, I have to tell you, it was devastating. Something I thought would last forever, and didn't. So I drove to Austin to see my older sister. When I got there, I told her. And I went out in the backyard, and I put my head against the trunk of the tree in the backyard, and I just stood there. And then my sister came out and put her arm around me. She didn't tell me it was all going to be okay. She didn't offer any suggestions. She just stood there with me, with her arm around me. This is our hope. God of the cosmos who has brought everything to life is with you, is near to you, will not solve your problems, will not fix things for you, but will be with you so that you may heal and move through your suffering into new hope. The psalmist and the writer of 1 Peter says, learn the awe of God Hold your tongue. Depart from evil. Do good. Seek peace. And pursue. And I will be with you. For I am with the brokenhearted and those in need. May God bless to us these words, these ancient, ancient words. Amen.